The power of music. Remember when you first heard a song on the radio or that note from a piano that touched your heart? This podcast is about understanding the power of music. I bring in someone who teaches music and is fascinated with music, Emily Howe, professor at Curry College, who's a part of the music department. Let's talk with her about the power of music. So, Emily Howe, Professor Howe, I'm going to call you majority throughout the podcast, PAL podcast. Thank you so much for being on. I appreciate having you here and also, you know, taking your time out of your day to talk about kind of music and emotion. So at a young age, who influenced you to be invested in learning about music? Well, I started learning from my mother, who is a church organist and choir director. I grew up in a small town called Frederick, Maryland. And I grew up in a really musical family. My mom played music in the church, and so I grew up around that. But on my dad's side of the family, they're all musicians. He was one of seven children, and his mother was an actress on Broadway. And so music was just kind of part of my life growing up. And I remember very clearly realizing at a young age that my mom would disappear into, into the basement. And, and I had this moment when I was probably, I don't know, five or six, when I realized that she was going downstairs to play piano. And so I remember very clearly at that age, five or six, probably hearing her playing a particular song by a classical composer. And I I heard it from the basement and I thought, oh my gosh, that's, that's amazing. We have a piano downstairs. And so I asked her if she would teach me. And that was kind of the beginning of my journey as a musician. Yeah. And then how long have you been teaching exactly? So I have been teaching in different kinds of contexts for about 10 years. That's very interesting how you were influenced into music. And now you're teaching music to influence others. That's unbelievable if you think about that. Do you play any instruments of any sort? Yeah, I play piano. And that's really it. I tried flute when I was a kid. And I tried cello when I was a kid. Um, And I also, my research is in Cambodia. And I tried to learn a couple Cambodian instruments as part of my research there. Um, But otherwise, I really kind of a one-trick pony piano it is and piano you can also kind of learn like drums with that too if you put in drums and with the keyboard and all that as well so piano is very influential with other instruments as well if you think about it because nowadays with technology you know you can add different types of sound effects and you can add different types of instruments a guitar with the piano on garage band and all that so it's very interesting that you started off with piano but you could even still probably play you know, like a guitar sound on a piano. So that's very cool. It's true. And the piano is a extremely versatile instrument. It kind of can do can do it all. It can it can shape shift. I mean, even independent of what you're talking about, which is the kind of synthesized aspects of the piano, even just an acoustic instrument has percussive elements. It packs a lot of punch. <laughs> yeah. And also, if you think about the piano, it was used as like almost like a drum back in the day. You know, Jerry Lee Lewis type of thing. It's influenced over the years of a piano and also instruments in general. What are some artists that you listen to that impact for someone who's young? My dad is really into jazz and rock music. And my mom, again, was a church organist and and classical musician. And so for me, when I was I was young, I was around all these different kinds of influences. I remember there's a famous jazz musician who passed away maybe a week or two ago at this point named Chick Corea, who's originally from the Boston area, actually. And he was someone that my, my dad would play his albums all the time when I was growing up. So I grew up listening to a lot of, a lot of jazz, a lot of progressive rock, this kind of stuff. Um, 
but for me, I think my rebellion, because he took all the jazz and, and the rock stuff, <laughs> I'd come home and the windows were rattling. My rebellion was always classical music. I really, I loved, I fell in love with classical music at a young age. And for me, it's really been a journey kind of back to those popular idioms. So when I was when I was young, I really loved um, I loved Bach. I loved probably my favorite piano composer to play when I was young was Debussy. I really loved Claude Debussy and impressionist works from the French classical twentieth century stuff. Uh, but but at this point, I have I would say I have very eclectic listening habits and can get into anything. So you talked about playing the piano. You talked about Bach. When you play the piano, is there some type of emotion that you feel? while you're playing that type of music? You know, you talked about the percussive aspects of the piano. When you're learning to play the piano, a lot of what you spend time on is trying to kind of get these beautiful melodic lines uh, to, to sound, to ring really beautifully. And, and I think that absolutely you want, particularly if you're playing romantic era music, a big part of the challenge is to make it sound emotional and to, to imbue every phrase with a sense of, emotion, a sense of longing, or whatever the, the character is. So for sure, that's a that's a big part of what you kind of learn and try to embody and give voice to is these these beautiful melodies and the sense of emotion that the composer is trying to convey. And also the mood too of the crowd, kind of what mm. the mood of the crowd is feeling as well. So it's not always just you, how you feel, but it's how they feel or how you want them to feel while you're playing the music or playing, you know, a piece on the piano. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Music is a great manipulator. So if genre, does it change how emotions are changing throughout the mind, throughout the body? I, I don't quite understand that question because I think within a genre, there are so many different potential styles or emotions that could be conveyed. I think there are, there are songs from, I mean, particular genres might, I suppose, be more I mean, there's the classic thing like Mozart makes you smarter or something like that. This idea that classical music somehow inspires um, intelligence or something like that, which I think is absurd. I think that's ridiculous. And I think that to me that this is the problem with this kind of way of thinking about music is that it's it's ahistorical. So, I mean, Mozart was like a rock star in his day. These classical composers were rock stars in their day. So what we understand about these genres today might be very different from the way that they were understood in their time. And I think rock is another example that for now, like if I listen to, if we listen to Chuck Berry, that feels a little bit, I think to most contemporary listeners, it feels a little bit tame. It feels a little bit, um, sounds like it's time, not rock. Yeah. Yeah. And at the time it would have been, it would have been, it would have felt quite radical. So I think that you know, one thing I try to think about in my own research and, and kind of critique is this idea that music is a universal language. I really disagree with that premise. Mm. And I think that and I think that, yes, we do have emotional responses to music, but they are culturally specific and they are they come from the, the music that we are accustomed to hearing and the ways that we're that we have trained our brain through a complex cultural process and through this kind of evolution of different kinds of forms, the way that we've that we've trained our brains to understand emotion through music. So I think that it's kind of a difficult question to answer. I think, and I, and I also think there's so much diversity of sounds within a genre, even there are different kinds of rock that might make you feel very different from another kind of rock. Do certain instruments play a role in emotion, like changing wise? So a guitar, piano, cello. It's very culturally specific. It's very individually specific. 
I have certain associations with certain instruments that other people might not have. I mean, if we wanted to make generalizations, then I think that uh, there are there are stereotypes, right? Like the I'm playing the world's tiniest violin for you. That conveys some sort of sense of pity. And maybe the violin is particularly appropriate for sounding these kinds of emotional uh, kinds of music. There are certain nations have certain associations with particular kinds of instruments. So um, again, like during my research in Cambodia, there are a few kinds of wind instruments that people have very profound associations with uh, feelings of the nation or feelings of rural life or things like that because they're associated with maybe in the rice fields passing time while they're doing agricultural work or something like that. Um, there are other instruments that we have particular associations with in, in this country. I think there are instruments that we associate with kind of Americanness, like the banjo or something like that, um, which is interesting because the history of that instrument is actually connected to West Africa. So that is, a, that is an instrument that has complex history in, in the U.S. context, which has to do with colonization and it's slavery and all these kinds of things. And, but the stereotypical examples would be, yes, the maybe these string instruments have associations with emotion, which have been continued to, we've ingested, we've received that kind of stuff because it comes from the romantic period and it continues to influence us through things, through mass media, including film, where a lot of scores have these kinds of orchestral elements. And so we have these deep associations of the orchestra or string instruments in particular with emotion, sadness, and longing, potentially. Can you talk to me a little bit about music in Cambodia? Because you brought up that a lot. I want to know a little bit more about kind of what you think and kind of how they learn music from then us in America. We live in a globalized society. So people in, one of the first things I do in my American music class, you were there, Jack, is to share an example, a version of Old Town Road, the song by Lil Nas X, which was uh, like a cover version by a Cambodian rapper named Vitu, who, who kind of sings this rap, which is quite funny about his mom cooking food. It's not, a theme is totally different from Old Town Road. So there are certainly people in Cambodia who are making music that is that is very similar to American music and grew up listening to American music and all these kinds of things. But if we're talking about classical or folk music, the traditional way of learning would be um, would be by ear. It would be you would have a kind of relationship with a teacher who would uh, kind of guide you in in learning an instrument or learning a vocal style or something like that. And it would really be kind of by repetition that you would learn. There's a, there's a process for learning kinds of uh, melodies which people people like into roads it's so you learn to kind of play the main melody and then every instrument has what they call its own road that you can kind of walk that is a sort of elaboration of the melody so it sort of feels like it's improvised but it's kind of not it's these ways of playing that are sort of learned from a teacher and then if you get good enough you can kind of create your own road through that through that melody in the culture this idea of learning from your elders and and learning a kind of a real skilled master of the instrument is is really important. So when you're teaching music, what is the most interesting thing that you've learned from students about music in general? I think for me, music is a is just a wonderful way to engage students. I went to a liberal arts college. I majored in English. And I think that of all the liberal arts, for me, music is really a powerful way to connect with people who uh, who might make music themselves or who might not, but I feel like everyone has some kind of way of connecting to music because almost everyone listens to music, even if they're not 
um, super active and seeking out artists or going to concerts or something like that. Probably they have a Spotify account or um, they maybe they have background music playing or they listen to something in the car. I think it is universal in that sense, the sense that almost everyone has some sort of relationship with some sort of music. So I think it's a powerful way to connect with students, for students to connect with one another, and to think about issues of history and politics and, and culture more broadly through the lens of music. I think it can be a really interesting way to, to think about the world and to understand, to kind of hear the world and hear different ways that people have uh, expressed themselves or tried to uh, connect with a, the divine or tried to influence people through politics. All these things happen through music. So I think it's just, it's really interesting in that sense. And I think in terms of something that I've learned from a student specifically, um, I guess I've, I've learned so much from students over the years, but I always think about my experience uh, teaching in prison for a long time. I, I taught the Boston University Prison Education Program. In that context, I was really inspired because my students who had access to very little in terms of resources or um, formal music education or something like that were able to make so much with with such limited resources. So that was really inspiring to see the way that people continued to make music and engage as musicians and as listeners um, being deprived of so much. And it also inspired me to kind of seek out, to, to try to understand more about things like beat making, for instance, which some of my students were really knowledgeable about and passionate about and I knew very little about prior to that experience. So it's almost they're teaching you kind of how they want to learn, but also teaching you about a different side of music that you might have thought of, but actually haven't really, you know, had a lot of experience with, which is really, really cool because then you take the teacher and the student and then you flip them. <laughs> and I think that's always interesting because that's what a lot of students kind of don't really think about is that, okay, we're all still learning. Let's take what you've learned and teach somebody else. And I think that with music, it's so influential in politics and history that you're able to create that atmosphere of connection through music and through this idea of a world of music through instruments as well. Yeah, it's something I feel really lucky to be in the field because it's it's always changing. And it's, I think as a teacher, like I, I, I accepted a long time ago that I was, I was never going to know all the latest trends or styles or whatever. So it, for sure, it's an area that um, my students are constantly teaching me about new artists or new ways of making music. And that's really exciting. Yeah, it's very, very exciting. I'm even thinking about just in general, making music with different objects in the room. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a thing that was from back then where they did that with movies where they created their own sound, the washboard, they created their own sound. So it's so interesting to see kind of how that electronic now type of music plays a part in kind of how we think about music and kind of how we think about making music as well. So that's also another interesting aspect to the world of music, but also how it's changing and evolving. Well, I think lyrics can be, can be hugely influential and, um, songwriting is a powerful way that or since the beginning of time I would say people have tried to you know enhance their poetry through music sometimes sometimes the music can subvert the meaning of the of the um of the poetry sometimes 
vice versa. You know, sometimes sometimes the poem and the song seem to fit really well together where the music expresses the emotion intentionally. And sometimes there's this interesting play of subversion that happens. Either the, um, the lyric is quite critical and the song sounds very sweet. I mean, there's a Phoebe Bridgers, who's very popular right now, I think does this a lot. Her music sounds really beautiful, but then she says something that's that's quite biting or quite uh, that catches you by surprise. So that's something interesting where the there's this tension, I think, between the lyric and and the sound of the music sometimes. Or I think the other thing, people can deploy that in interesting ways. So we see in a lot of protest movements, for instance, in very global contexts where some, sometimes, you know, you might want to say something very critical to a world leader, for instance. Again, I keep coming back to Cambodia because that's where my research is, but people in some of what I what I researched was these people in a in this kind of difficult authoritarian environment, it's very difficult to speak out against the government. And so there are some people who use who are trying to think about how to use music to say things that maybe they couldn't in other contexts. Um, maybe it's dangerous to speak out, but maybe if you put it in the context of this kind of old song, then maybe it doesn't feel as um, as biting. It doesn't feel as dangerous to say these kinds of things. We can think of that sort of thing happening in the U.S. civil rights movement as well when there are these black communities coming together and, and not, not just black people, people of all races coming together and singing songs to kind of advocate for change in a really, in a powerful way. And I think we see again and again, and this has continued to happen through the Black Lives Matter movement where artists have kind of spoken out against injustice through song. And I think, I think that sometimes a, a song can... Um, can change hearts, right? It can make people think in a way that maybe if you're just speaking, it, it doesn't. And I think that's kind of part of the magic of, of song. And I think it has to do with emotions. I think it has to do with the, the subversive potential of, of having the, the melody, <laughs> I guess for lack of a better way of putting it. And, and the fact that it, it seems like neutral ground in a way. If you, if you hear a song, it doesn't feel as in your face maybe as a, or it doesn't feel as dangerous somehow as um, as the words, even though mm. the words are there all along. <laughs> it's also different for students to listen to a song and just listen to it. When you take it apart, the lyrics, write them down, think about kind of what the artist is saying or how the artist is feeling. It's so, so cool. And it's so like, whoa that's a whole different world that's a whole different perspective i didn't even realize that this is the song i listen to but this is someone's life and someone's story yeah and i think we see some of our some of our greatest songwriters are storytellers first and foremost you know poetry has i think is having a having a moment we see at the the biden inauguration amanda gorman uh, presented such a beautiful poem and i think there's a lot of people who are thinking about spoken word poetry and um, speaking beautifully, showing showing how powerful text can be. For some people, poetry can feel sort of inaccessible. And I think what song can do is bring those deep emotions that are always present in poetry and that by design, it, it's limited. You're limited in the number of words. From those limitations can come really powerful sentiments. And I think that's the beauty of poetry. And I think that song brings another element to 
to that by making it more accessible. So some people who might say, oh, I don't, I don't like poetry, <laughs> but, but maybe they'll, they'll be okay with it if it's in a song. Well, it kind of starts, songwriting kind of starts from that poetry aspect. Yeah, I think of rap, it's just poetry, but faster and faster and faster. It's so surreal that people say they don't like poetry, but they like rap because it's the truth. Poetry is rap, believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> just faster and sped up. And sometimes improvised. Yeah, which is even more difficult. It's almost like a positive negative type of situation where music can be positive, but also can be negative. And it can be positive emotion and negative emotion, anger and happy. Do you think that playing a sad song, why, why does that make you happy? Why do people go to play a sad song to make them happy? Well, misery loves company, right? I think there's, um, and that is long been a power of music I think is to sort of um to provide the sense of shared emotion and a sense that someone has whatever you're feeling maybe someone has gone through it before um whether it's a breakup there's truth in the idea that um we are social animals and hearing someone else who's had some sort of similar experience even if it's sad can be healing in a way and it almost goes back to that that theme where it's the story of them. We we kind of agree with their story. We understand their story or we want to learn about their story. And it's similar to our type of story of the way we live life and kind of feel that emotion in, in a way as well. So does emotion in music, does it help us better understand the artist? I think when we listen to artists, we often think that we have some sort of connection to them and we imagine perhaps falsely that everything an artist writes is inspired by their biography, which I think in, for a lot of artists is not necessarily the case. We've inherited a lot of ideas about music and this idea that it needs to be confessional, that it needs to be authentic to ourselves, which I think are also pretty culturally specific. I don't think that's un that's a universal idea that music needs to be emotional or needs to express something of the self I think that in and of itself is a sort of romantic like 19th century convention of the tortured artist that continues to live on we valorize artists who do express themselves I think that's something that a lot of people really um, crave but it's not the only way <laughs> there's lots of other reasons that people make music and lots of other themes that are expressed in different kinds of contexts and in different periods of history. But I do think that they're um, this game that artists play where they want you, I mean, Taylor Swift is the classic example, right? Where so many of her songs are maybe inspired by some sort of relationship or some sort of breakup. And even when they're not, we think we understand something about her life and her, her love <laughs> when, <laughs> when Taylor Swift is going to continue writing breakup songs, even after she's long married, you know? So, and then we see this with a lot of artists and songwriters that they continue to kind of draw on these human emotions and these, these experiences and can, can somehow tap into these, these feelings and these emotions and inspire those feelings and emotions in other, in other people, um, even if they're kind of in a, in a good place. <laughs> and I don't think that all, all good art needs to come from a place of pain, even though that, um, that's sort of what this culture's of, authenticity and tortured artist trope sort of encourages how can students learn more about music and kind of how 
music can affect emotion, but also just music in general. What can they learn from music? Well, they should take music classes at Curry College. <laughs> Thank you for giving me the opportunity to do a little pitch for the music minor. No, I mean, I think that we're living in an era where it's so easy to access information. So there's so many great um, podcasts out there about music. One of my favorite that I always recommend is called Afropop, which talks about it's Afropop worldwide. Um, I think PRX produced it originally, but there's just these amazing um research that people have done about and hearing from artists themselves about the about different forms of pop music in Africa and the way that circulation of different musics and different ideas about music have um how, how that's all worked out on the ground how economics are a part of music all these kinds of things so listen to podcasts NPR has amazing amazing reporting um and research about about music but I mean seriously also take music classes at Curry. It's an amazing way to, um, to make connections. Uh, and, and I would also say that I'm always receptive to students' ideas about projects and about, um, about potential concert events, different kinds of things that we can be doing on campus. So I really wanna make Curry a place where music is a meeting point and a place where we can get to know one another and also get to know the world. So, Let's work together to do cool stuff. That's work. my pitch. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Work, work together through music. Work together through music. Yeah. yeah. Music is a powerful way to think about the way that other people understand emotions. And I think that the importance of sound and the importance of, of hearing as a way of knowing and understanding the world and, um, and thinking about the, the ways that we, the audio culture that we, um, that we absorb just in our daily lives and and kind of decentering the text as the the main way of transmitting information. There's just so many ways in which, um, particularly in marginalized communities, uh, music has continued to be a way of sharing stories, of transmitting histories, of of keeping people together. And I think you know African American music tradition in this country is a great example of that, uh, as people were systemically denied access to literacy, for instance, because they were enslaved. Um, musical culture was a way of communicating, of sharing messages, of continuing to inspire people to work towards freedom, to aspire to something. And we have this kind of living body of knowledge that has been passed down from person to person. It might not have been written down in books right at the start, um, but we have that that legacy, we have that history, and we can understand something about those that history and about the lives of those people who, who created those songs in community um, by examining this audio culture. And we, we can't really understand that by reading about those lives. So making music is a way of learning and um, listening is a way of learning. And I think music is a great way to, to think about those things. Everything that you just put together right there is just beautiful. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's powerful. It's, it's powerful to think about how music can really change someone's life can impact someone's life. And I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me. My pleasure.